it is official playoff hockey is here and we are into the thick of it the night shift episode 46 Kyle Gamard at Mike Stubbs and Jim Van Horn joining us today for while well, recapping an incredibly exciting weekend around the Ontario Hockey League we've got some other news around junior hockey we've got some audio clips a mistake that turned out to be gold gentlemen Mike Stubbs Jim Van Horn how we doing Great. Great. Aren't the playoffs just full of uh, great stories and memories and ups and downs and uh, just it's so fantastic to be back. How did we do without it for two years? <laughs> I I couldn't tell you how we did, but, you know, there were a couple opening games here for the uh, London Knights this weekend in, in their opening round matchup against the Owen Sound attack. And it started off really good. The London Knights heading into game one this past Friday and they come out with about as good a performance as you can imagine. They skate to a 7-0 victory on home ice to take that one nothing lead. It's the first ever postseason shutout for Brett Brochu. Sean McGurn with a natural hat-trick. He makes his statement in the game. Max McHugh, Mike, with two goals, including a, sh- a, uh, a penalty shot goal that was a move that he was told to do by his teammates. <laughs> Well, if we think about this, we also have to bring George Diaco into it because George Diaco assisted on what? The first three goals of that game. But he, Jim, basically he assisted on Max McHugh's penalty shot goal because he fed him the pass that sent him in where he got hooked and got the penalty shot. No, no provision for a review on that yet <laughs> where we add assists on a on a penalty shot goal. We don't need that tablet out any more than it already is. But yeah, Diaco, certainly in that first game, created all kinds of offense with the uh, space that he creates with his quickness. He backs up the D and he was able to generate uh, quite a few scoring chances just with that uh just that speed and and able to come in, enter the zone, back up the uh, coverage, and boy, he uh, he certainly uh, placed the puck off of those rushes right in the right places. Well, he's also a shootout master because in the regular season he scored on six of seven shootout attempts. And so we asked George first about Max's move. Uh, I like the way Max came in nice and slow. I think I've heard it from a lot of goalies that the slower you come in, it's harder for them to read. And then I've seen Max try that uh, move a couple of times in practice, and I've always seen him get it. So I was happy he tried it in the game and worked out. And then here is Max on his viewpoint from all of this. And like you said, Kyle, the team was asking him to do what he did. Honestly, as soon as I got, you know, hooked there, I kind of went to the bench and I was like, should I, should I do the... Should I do my move or whatever? And all the guys were on the bench, and everyone's like, yeah, try it. Everyone's, uh, everyone's yelling, do it. So I just went and tried it, and, you know, luckily it went in. So, um, you know, it was, it was a big goal. Now, at the same time, guys, you know, coaches will watch that, and they will look at that move and go, hmm, that was probably a, a risky move because it was, it was a difficult move to make in fact dylan hunter talks about what is going through a coach's mind when you see a guy go in and you know what's coming because max has done this in practice so much you know it's coming i thought he was just gonna go low blocker do do the averages do the averages but that's boring and that's why i'm a coach so but uh you know it was good i mean he does it in practice he you know he's good at it right and the boys were pumped um you know it's nothing more exciting than a than a a penalty shot. Knights assistant coach Dylan Hunter. Play the percentages. Coaches, Dylan admits (laughs) it. Coaches want it to be boring. Let's make it simple. The 7-0 victory, even though Dylan admitted 
you know, that game was a whole lot closer when you look at scoring chances, and it was. You want to, at the end of the game, look up and see, huh, that, yeah, that was that was nice and easy. They executed the system. Everything's Everything went well. That's what you want. Um, well, we got one of those and, and something quite different this weekend through the first two games of this series. God, did we ever. Uh, game two where, you know, the London Knights uh, conceded the first goal this time, a power play goal by Colby Barlow. And then the Knights started battling at that point. They took over the game a little bit with some power play chances themselves. They go up 3-1, eventually making it 4-2. And with about two and a half minutes left, the London Knights take a penalty. And Owen Sound proceeds to score. Colby Barlow once again to make it 4-3. And not long after... The Owen Sound attack, pull the goaltender and tie the game. And with two and a half left, you're up two to, oh, we're going to overtime tied at four. It's anyone's game. And this series can look a lot different from what it looked like in game one. And, you know, you gentlemen had the call on this one. And Jim, I'll go to you. That in between the third period and overtime, I, I can't imagine what was being talked about, what you guys were saying, what was going on in the locker room. Yeah, isn't that interesting? The teams are in the same place. You're tied 4-4. Okay, let's start there. How you got there, Owen Sound had to be pumped up. Look at what we've done. You know, pulling a possible victory from the Jaws and the Knights had to regroup. And that's where we've talked about it so many times, what that championship pedigree does in a room. And it was probably, I'm going to guess, uh, some of the veterans that have been there before, some of the guys maybe who have uh, been to the Memorial Cup, uh, won championships, and they said, it's zero, we got to start fresh. This is a kind of a reprieve for us too, because we're still in this game. And uh, yeah, they came back, they threw everything at us in the last few minutes and things didn't go our way, but it's a fresh start. And it just happened to be uh, the guy who has been to the Memorial Cup, George Diaco, creating the game-winning goal. But it is so interesting to think of those two locker rooms at that moment where the Knights are a bit shocked what in the world just happened, and they go out and finish the job. And let's look back at the Knights being up 4-2. And, Jim, you made an excellent point. When you look at the face-offs in the game, the Knights won 50 of 79 face-offs. Like, that's really, really big. Normally, face-offs should be, you know, maybe 55 to 45, maybe 57 to 43 if you have a really good night. The Knights won 50 of 79 face-offs, but it's not how many, it's when. And Owen Sound, Jim, won three consecutive face-offs, and it helped them to come back in the game. Yeah, it's, the like you say, the timing and... um Face-offs are um, oftentimes at that uh, point in the game. Uh, and I, you know, you look back at them and they were tie-ups and then somebody comes in and they had extra bodies out there. And Gavin Bryant did a great job of tying up and then somebody swoops in and gets possession of the puck. And that's how they controlled the play on those three consecutive face-offs, even the one that center ice, you know, it was tie-up. Sometimes you try and win those face-offs in a, really cool way you just kind of flick it back right and no at that point in the game it is it is such a battle in that face-off dot and Bryant give Bryant credit he did a good job he uh, uh also won a big one it allowed the uh attack to get possession of the puck and of course you know at that desperate point in the game you get possession of the puck you've got 
you've got, um, you know, you've got a great chance to get that puck to the net. And uh, the Knights, of course, uh, were killing a penalty at that point, too. Uh, so that didn't help. They just needed that one face-off win, uh, maybe a shot at that open net. But you know what? All, uh, you know, all is forgotten after uh, Diaco's uh, overtime goal. But yeah, face-offs, watch how it's a grind late in the games. You'll notice that it is uh, oftentimes... Um, just a real grinded out battle in that one-on-one there. In overtime, Brett Brochu makes his biggest save of overtime. The Knights get a quick up. Max McHugh tries to get to the puck at the blue line, gets enough of it that it goes to Sean McGurn, and then McGurn gives it to Diaco. the puck, leaving to Diaco. Diaco in a goal score! George Diaco! And the London Knights win it 5-4 in overtime. And I don't know about the two of you. I don't know about anybody else listening. When George Diaco is able to get himself into the slot like he did, you can just anticipate what's about to happen. And it's usually the puck hitting the back of the net. When he gets into that spot, the ability of him to find holes. Oh, it's so fantastic watching. He, and he did this earlier this year, too, in a, in a regular season game against the Kitchener Rangers. And it was a three-on-three matter, so you have a little bit more room to work with. But he had the puck on the off wall, and he finds a way to get some space, cut to the middle. And as the defender is going out and positioning themselves to block the shot, he's able to stick handle and delay just long enough to get around that blocker, a sprawling defender, and then find a way to beat the goaltender clean. And, Mike, you mentioned it. When he gets there, he is deadly. There's a reason he's done that more than one time and guys let's credit max McHugh on the play as well the net drive that he had he went to the net that had an impact right jim well sure did and uh at that point in the game um the defenders are blocking everything they're trying to block everything and it just creates that half second okay the doubt in the defender's mind okay i gotta stay with McHugh, stay with my man should i block the shot and as it turns out, you get into that no nowheresville because of the McHugh net drive. You know, he's got to account for that uh, because if he commits too far out to block the shot by Diaco, he slides it through to McHugh and, and an open chance. So absolutely, that's a fundamental. You drive through the middle, get, you know, get that defense uh, thinking, okay, what should I do? And then by that time, the puck's in the net. Uh, also, gentlemen, I do want to give a shout out here to, uh, you know, Corbin Votary, who in his first game, a little bit of a tough matchup. It's your first ever uh, playoff start. You go into Budweiser Gardens of all places and it's you got some nerves going into you, but he gets the starting game too. he comes back and in a very valiant effort, he makes 48 saves. And I got this game going to overtime is fully on Corbin Votary because he made in one sequence alone, it was the OHL save of the night and it should have been switched to saves of the night. Cause he not, he doesn't make one. He makes three, 10 bell saves getting across. I believe it's Rob Mayu. He cuts back to the middle to make a big left pad save and then sprawls back to the right to get a glove or blocker or body part on the third shot and keep the puck out of the net he was remarkable and credit him seriously this is a guy who started game two after the Knights scored seven goals against him on friday night and i think there would be a, a lot of Knights fans who would say they were maybe a little surprised to see him come out and be in the crease for the start of game two but hey if you're going to be able to come back from that and and this is such a great test for anybody. If you can have one of your toughest days 
And then less than 48 hours later, you're bouncing back and you're having one of your best days. Boy, you can do anything. So, yeah, good job for Corbin Votary to be able to do what he did. Well, Kyle, you could speak to that. Uh, the most important equipment the goalie has is the six inches between the ears. And, uh, you know, everybody in this league uh, listens to the social media chatter. Everybody knows what the goaltending situation is in Owen Sound. I think they even talk about it quite openly. If Carter George was eligible, he might even have started the opening game. Then you have Votary giving up seven in the opener and hanging in there. And then he puts on a performance like that. The mental strength that all of the uh, all of the noise that a goalie has to listen to, uh, for him to do that, as you say, just a, a, a wonderful moment for that young man. Well, and not to mention, too, there is a veteran back there in, in Nick Chenard who, like, of, of in any case scenario, you throw him in there. At least he's been in that moment before. He's a big guy, and you never know who finds their game come playoff time. You see goaltenders, you know, go on a run. It's not necessarily who has the best goalie. It was who has the hottest goalie. And, you know, the Knights got, you know, they're lucky that, you know, their guy, Brett Brochu, can be both at times. And he played really well, too. I know the two goals in, in the last two and a half minutes isn't great, but he made a couple really big saves in overtime that allowed London to go in and get that win. He had, you know, an opening um, series shutouts on Friday too. So, you know, it's, I'm, it kind of quiets things down a little bit as who's going to go in net for game three. I believe it'll be Corbin Votary. I don't know when Carter George comes back for that team, but until then, I think Votary continues to be the guy, especially after that performance, they go back home into Owen sound. They're comfortable. They're going to have the home crowd with them. It is going to be a very tough building to play in. And, you know, London's got to find a way to deal with it now that they're on the road. Well, if George could be better than that, I, I, I doubt it. I mean, that's, <laughs> he's, he's 16 and you can't be, uh, or almost 17, I guess, uh, you, you can't be relying. I mean, I mean, Votary gave them exactly what they needed yesterday. So uh, we'll see up in Owen Sound. I assume that he'll get that. Uh, he's got to get the call for, for game three. But uh, it's 3 nothing for Leamington now. And uh, it's possible that George could be eligible for game four. Yeah, they could finish up that series on Tuesday. So... It's been uh, a, a really good season for St. Mary's, but they're running into what Leamington's been all year, which is an absolute juggernaut. And Leamington is keeping the scores low, and they could wrap it up on Tuesday. Yeah, and you know, Mike, and, and there's so many, you know, important players on the London Knights side as well. We've talked about this with, you know, in game one, we had Sean McGurn leaning away with a natural hat trick. Brett Brochu, the shutout. McHugh with two goals. Diaco had three assists in game one. He gets the game winner. Denver Barkey's got four points in the series as well. And another player that, you know, I really think we need to discuss here is, is Easton Cowan. He gets the second star of the game on Sunday with a goal and an assist in that one. But it was his penalty killing prowess that really might caught your attention caught mine too but he put on a clinic in that first game on the penalty kill here is easton cowan sweeps a pass forward for winterton back to isaiah george at the london blue line puck moved inside the owen sound blue line cowan chasing cowan a steal cowan around to the right side cowan still with it he'll go for a skate out into center cowan dekes out denny gore going back into his own zone and now feeds logan mayu and he'll blast this through center and bounces back to Cowan. In across the blue line again. Cowan turning again back into center. He's going to bring the fans out of their seats. Did he ever? 
How often do you see a guy taking wow. out somebody on the <laughs> other team to get back into his zone and his ability to react? This is something that you'll have to watch. Next time you watch Easton Cowan live, watch when a puck hits a leg or a stick right near him. And it's difficult to figure out where a puck's going to go at the best of times. When it's hitting a leg or a stick right near him, watch how quickly he gets to that puck. Watch how quickly he controls that puck. And it's one of the things that makes him such a good player. It also makes him such a good penalty killer. And Jim Van Horn, the buzz around hockey scouts is getting really loud for Easton Cowan. It sure is. Uh, that's the truth. And uh, it is interesting to see the evolution of that process where, you know, pretty low key rookie year played in Kamoka last year, had some great numbers and good. But of course, uh, you never know how the jump to the next level is going to be. Then you start uh, getting a few points, but also just doing more things. And um, then it starts to talk, hey, this this kid really competes hard. And that's kind of what uh, so many of the scouts are now uh, looking for, and it seems like, anyway, I could be wrong on this, maybe it always has been, but it's, um, maybe it stands out a little more. It's harder to find that gritty compete level uh, anymore, and uh, it really is an indicator of how much you'll grow as a player, especially at the next level, but this guy competes right from the open. He just competes so hard in all the game situations. It's exactly what you just described, Mike. But then you start hearing the chatter. Well, man, you'd be a great, you know, you know, fourth to sixth round pick, you know, because, you know, he's, he's, you see how much he grows and blah, blah, blah. And then you wonder about this and you wonder about that. Then he starts answering questions along the way. And then that chatter goes from sixth round, fifth round, fourth round, uh, third round. Now it's about if you if you're waiting for him to get to the fourth round, you're not going to get him in in the NHL. That's just uh, it's fun to see that all the talk uh, because he is uh, he's making a lot of friends, as you said, in the scouting community. And then the uh, teams start doing these interviews. And uh, then if you interview Easton Cowan, you're going to come away really impressed and you will feel great about bringing a person like this never mind the player but a person like this into your organization so that that's how it grows well, and he's really been able to open up and show a lot more of his personality too, whether it's the skills competition or just being put in a bigger role where, you know, he is one of the many players who's helping basically be a catalyst for this team come playoff time. And he has done just that so far. Uh, we got some OHL cup news to talk about in just a little bit, but there's a lot of other, of course, all the other series going on around the Ontario hockey league. And there have been some really good, and this is exactly what playoffs are about. There have been fantastic starts to the series. Um, starting with the Hamilton Bulldogs. They come back in their series against the Barry Colts. They win 6-3 on Sunday. All of a sudden, that's a 2-1 series. Now, maybe Barry comes back, finds the way, but, you know, the Bulldogs getting in and, and making that closer is a lot of fun. All the other series that were listed here, I know that there's one that I think everyone's the most shocked about, but what series are you guys watching uh, closest right now outside of London and Owen Sound? Well, I think certainly Kitchener and Windsor, because that has an impact on what happens in the Western Conference. The one that became interesting yesterday, 
Hamilton full marks for a young team beating that Barry Colts team, beating a guy like Brant Clark and the Barry Colts. Brant Clark has 11 points in three games, but the series that became instantly interesting was North Bay Mississauga because somehow Mississauga is finding a way to the North Bay net. And that's usually, it's like you're on a golf hole that has a lot of sand, a lot of water, a lot of trees, and a lot of rough. It's hard to see the pin. It's hard to see the net. And North Bay does that very well. Mississauga is not just finding a way to the net. They beat the battalion in game two. So that has become instantly interesting. But we're going to get to that Kitchener-Windsor series, I have a feeling, because that's the one everybody's talking about, Jim. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, you know, you think of a 1-8 matchup and you think of the eighth place, eighth place team scratching and clawing and trying to get a victory usually. Uh, you don't think of the eighth place team dominating in the first two games in the uh, first place team's rink. And by dominating, I mean, you know, they were never really pressed. Uh, Kitchener had an answer for everything. It looked like a reverse bizarro world it looked every bit like uh, it was the rangers that were the first place team and windsor trying to scrape along a point or two so the uh, spitfires you've got to believe will bounce back in in kitchener and play, at least play better uh, but that odd will be rocking with uh, the fans of the uh, of the rangers and now we've got to also look at uh, what the league might do to get involved in some of these series uh, you know, um, we're waiting uh, at this uh, recording. We don't have word, but, uh, you know, for example, Brant Clark, who you just talked about, he was tossed from, he had a kneeing uh, call. Yep. Uh, uh, so we'll see if um, if the suspensions uh, play a role in this as well. And also uh, Dillingham, Nolan Dillingham of Sarnia, uh, the sting yesterday were without him. He got tossed from the game for an, uh, an elbow to the head. And also, um, Del Mastro was uh, out for a good chunk of that uh, game with a 2, 5, and 10. And so, uh, you know, when that was the case, uh, Guelph had a, had a lead in that game going into the late stages uh, with those defenders uh, on the bench or sidelines. So, you know, sometimes the league uh, rulings will play a role in some of these outcomes, but uh, you know, I think Dillingham might get uh, a, at least a couple, three games for uh, for a hit to the head. It was a kind of a flying elbow that uh, didn't look great on the replay. So he's their captain. He's their physical presence back there. Uh, they can probably overcome it as they also have uh, an extra D. But we'll, we'll have to uh, wait and see on uh, some of these rulings. But fascinating uh, just to show you how hard it is in this league to win even one playoff game. And if you can even uh, take that further and win a series, you're really doing something. Well, and it just goes to show too the, the, the resistance London had, especially in that first game, the, the, the person like to, to not go out of their way and, and get involved in, in the fights and the extracurriculars that would have potentially signed line players for a game two or a game three scenario. And London has done a really good job so far. Landon Sim has just been spectacular at getting in and being a, a thorn in the side so far for, for the Owen sound attack. And, you know, the Knights have done a really good job of, of being able to deal with that and, Luckily to this time and knock on wood, but they haven't had any of those situations happen just yet. Who knows what happens when they go to the Bayshore and Owen Sound? 
Well, that's always a fun place to play. Fans are right on top of you. And the Knights have been physical and clean physical. We have seen two of the biggest checks of the year going back to game <laughs> two. Alec Leonard stepping up and catching Thomas Chafe. But you know what? As much as people were complaining one way or the other about officiating after game two, and please remember, we need the officials. You know, they're they're calling it the to the best of their ability and nobody is going one-sided in this nobody is trying to make the other side win and i I wish that was a message that wasn't getting so much life in sport right now but it's getting some life and it shouldn't be there the officials are there to do a job but if you look back on the hits of alec leonard on thomas chafe and max McHugh on sam sedley those were clean checks and they were left as clean checks and a lot of times if something makes a lot of noise Uh, or if something is really big and a player is injured, then the likelihood is there's going to be some kind of penalty coming from that. But credit Max McHugh and Alec Leonard for being able to do what they did because it is a part of the game. And wow, when you've got to think about number 39 coming at you or number 27 coming at you, it adds a little element into the back of everybody's mind on the other side. There's also an interesting uh, rules examination on, and it was, and first of all, it was great. We wish the best for Chafe, and and it was great to see Sedley return to the game uh, later in that overtime uh, after the McHugh hit. Um, but the four uh, officials on the ice gathering at the box uh, and uh, talking amongst themselves, and we uh, we wondered why, you know, okay, the tablets uh, there, but there has to be a call initially right to trigger a review is how i understand the the rule so until there's a call on McHugh, then they don't go to the tablet and that's why the discussion among the four was quite lengthy and uh, thorough which is fine um but you know if if there was a call uh and we've seen it all this year we've seen a call made it, we've seen it kept to five, reduced to two, and also, no, there wasn't a penalty. Uh, that's, that's happened a couple of times. So it's all kind of navigated out there in an interesting way in 2023 with technology and the combination of technology and uh, and the referee's eyes and instincts, and the game happens so fast. I know I wouldn't want to do the job, that's for sure. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And just, it has been, it has been a good it's been a very, very good start for the London Knights and and for everything that they've done, it seemed to go well. But no, you're totally right about the rule call and, and how the referees, Mike, have, have been calling things. They're not going out of their way to try to make it a one-sided or try to make it a closer series. They are calling the game the way they see the game called and, and you've got to take it with a grain of salt either way. But, you know, nevertheless, games three and game four are set for Inno and Sound. Before we get to that, the OHL Cup Championship set for tonight, a Monday night matchup between the Vaughn Kings and the Toronto Junior Canadians. Vaughn taking out the Peets 4-2 to two to advance, while the Junior Canadians, they shut out the Waterloo Wolves 4 nothing. Uh, Nico Armelin with a shutout to advance them to the finals. That is set and ready to go. It always seems like the Junior Canadians are here to a couple of Toronto teams. And it's, it's, it's the, the beat goes on for these two teams. Junior Canadians, Marley's. And if you look at Vaughn, uh, it is interesting. We, we talk about this sometimes. The London Junior Knights have players largely from London, um, almost exclusively. Uh, Jim, the Elgin Middlesex Canucks have players from the Elgin Middlesex area. Clacken. Yeah, really. Yeah, Clacken. That's about as far away as you can get. Travis Konechny's from there. 
And the Vaughn Kings watch their roster. They have five Russian-born players on their team, five. So it's it's quite something. Congratulations to Danny Sabret and his U16 London Junior Knights for being able to make it to the quarterfinals because the GTHL is a hockey business, and it is no less than that. And there are a lot of players that come from different places and play on teams. Players switch teams year after year after year. You're not just playing for the same association. So to be able to go in and and have your team, which is homegrown, compete, that's great. But yeah, you're right. The junior Canadians are there because they find a way to get those players. They're a great program. The Vaughn Kings actually had to play their way into this, gym because they had to go through a wild card game. They almost didn't make the OHL Cup. Now they're in the final. Now they're in the final, and it'll be, and it's against a, a bear. Uh, first, uh, the junior Canadians uh, were also in the final at the Wendy Dufton tournament. So around Thanksgiving weekend, if you if you want to see uh, the first, uh, probably the most of the players in the uh, first three rounds of the OHL draft that year, uh, go check that Wendy Dufton tournament. We always uh, sing about it every Thanksgiving, and it's that weekend, and it's really the first uh, step forward. Uh, for the uh, the U16 AAA teams to sort of make a statement about where they're going to. And it was a great final uh, this year uh, between the Junior Canadians and Bishop Kearney. And they have a couple of players eligible for the uh, OHL draft as well. So uh, it's always a great uh, thing to end. This OHL Cup, it has become a great event on the hockey calendar. And uh, we'll look forward to that final. We'll have those updates for you coming on Thursday's episode of the podcast as well. And we'll have updates on the game three that is taking place in Owen Sound Tuesday. And we'll preview game four. And if necessary, games five, six, and then a game seven matchup. If necessary, as we mentioned at Bud Gardens would be this uh, next uh, Tuesday. So a lot of hockey, a lot of excitement overtime physical big goaltending we're getting it all so far and in the playoffs have just begun gentlemen so jim thank you for joining us as always uh it feels just like the post game show where we just awesome. had a great time talking we actually got a real nice review from a coworker. so that's uh it's good to know we're doing something right over here well thank you for having me guys Not anytime, Jim. And uh, listen, Mike, we'll be back on Thursday to talk and, as I mentioned, preview everything else coming up. But until then, you can follow the podcast and listen to any other uh, episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, globalnews.ca. We're at Stubbs980 on uh, Twitter and Kyle Grimard, G-R-I-M-A-R-D. And uh, until then, we'll see you on Thursday.